Hi, I'm Curtis Hill, and you are listening to The Extra Point. Well, as I record this, it is the week of January 12th, 2020. And I want to start by saying thanks for those who are downloading this. Uh, Thanks to those who have given me some feedback and how this is being a help to you. Thanks for those who give some questions and an opportunity to respond to some things that are on my heart. The Extra Point is designed to take Sunday morning's message a little bit further and share a little bit more of what's on my mind. There's always some trimming and some editing that goes on, so I'm not able to share everything that I'd like to share on a Sunday morning at Ogletown, but this gives me an opportunity to share at least a little bit more. I think of January as a season of beginnings, and it's the beginning of maybe reading the Bible through in a year, or at least reading the Bible more consistently, or maybe it's the beginning of a new rhythm of prayer, or meeting with a small group, or Bible studies I know at church are starting. And I thought of that, especially in light of the sermon series that we are going to be investing some time in in this new year. The series is called Propelled. It's really a study of the book of Acts. And I thought this is a great time to look in Acts because Acts, you get the sense that something is beginning. But Acts 1 starts off in an interesting way. So I alluded to this Sunday, and I just want to highlight a couple things here. I I found in Acts 1.1, here's how it goes. I wrote the first narrative. I believe that is Luke speaking. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke is saying, I wrote my first work, which we understand to be the gospel of Luke, and that's what Jesus began to do and teach. But implicit in that is he's not done. He's doing more. And so this past Sunday, we kind of took that as a theme, looking back to the end of the gospel of Luke. So we went to Luke chapter 24 and verses 44 to 49. Uh, Jesus was telling them what the death and resurrection what his death, what his resurrection, what that all meant. Then we also looked at Acts 1.8, where Jesus says, I'm commissioning you to be witnesses for me in my name. You're going to go to the ends of the earth. So really trying to draw in the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, kind of the seam woven together. What is that telling us? And we looked at several things that we are supposed to take from that and realize that Jesus is alive, a new era has dawned, the Holy Spirit has been sent, and we have a task that is meant to drive us. A few things that I didn't get a chance to highlight. One was in Luke chapter 24, right before the passage that we looked at. This section heading that I'm looking at in the Christian Standard Bible says, this is called the reality of the risen Jesus. And I noticed there were some interesting verses where Jesus asks them, the disciples who are doubting in their hearts, not sure of what to make of this risen Jesus. He says, I want you to look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. I want you to touch me and see. Verse 40 says in Luke 24, having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And he even said, it says in verse 43, that he took a piece of fish and he ate it in their presence. What what is happening here is we have those that are witnessing Jesus but they still have doubts in their heart. And so what Jesus is doing is preparing these apostles, these disciples to be eyewitnesses. That's what's going on. He's saying, you you taste, you touch, you can see. All the senses are involved here, that this is a real person before you, that Jesus is really alive. 
And they are going to be witnesses of that. They are going to be able to say all throughout the book of Acts, listen, I saw the risen Jesus. I heard his voice. I touched his body. I know he is alive. And that will be so important. So even right there in the appearance of the risen Jesus, he is actually preparing them to be eyewitnesses. And I think that's so important for us to see. There's something else that I didn't, we read it, but I didn't stress it this past Sunday. And that is in Luke chapter 24 and verse 46. It says, he said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. The Messiah would suffer. The Messiah would rise. Repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. That's an interesting construction in the original language. And what theologians refer to this as is the divine necessity. This had to happen. The death of Jesus had to happen to fulfill God's plan. The resurrection of Jesus had to happen to fulfill God's plan. It was a necessity that it happened. And also that repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that has to be proclaimed. There's a divine necessity that in this era, this had to be proclaimed. So I I appreciate what Luke is doing and how he is stressing these things didn't just immediately happen as if it's a random occurrence. No, this was part of the plan of God. These things had to happen. When you get over into Acts chapter 1, actually it's in Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. Um, Acts chapter 1 verse 4, it says, When Jesus was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, the promise of the Father. And you might immediately ask, well, who or what is that, the promise of the Father? And we get that answered for us. It is the Holy Spirit. So a question even came in asking, what does it mean that he is the promise of the Father? What does that phrase mean? I'm recognizing something in studying this, and that is when God makes promises, like it says here, he's the promise of the Father. When God makes promises, he often sends someone he often sends someone. So when God makes a promise to redeem his people, he sent Jesus. And now we see even as Jesus is preparing to ascend to heaven, he says the Father has made another promise and has given the people of God another promise. So we see him sending a, another someone, and that is the Holy Spirit. So it's just interesting language that the, the Father is connected to sending the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise that he made, and he sends a person to dwell with them to be in them, to empower them, to strengthen them. And scripture says our lives are immersed. We are baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized in this promise of the Father. Uh, This is similar to me of Colossians 3 verse 4, where it says our life is hidden with Christ in God. We are just immersed in God, who he is and what he's done because we have been baptized, immersed with the Holy Spirit. And uh, what what great promises. We're going to work more out of what that means, especially when we get to Acts 2 and other places in Acts. But I think it's critical for us to see what it means when God makes promises. It means that he often sends someone. And finally, I I did want to recognize one other thing, and I mentioned it a little bit on Sunday, but didn't certainly didn't elaborate a lot on it. The apostles, it says in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. And he's saying that particularly, I think, to the 12. Actually, at that point, it was the 11. 
He's saying that to the apostles. They will have a unique role. A question is, is Acts 1-8 that you will be witnesses, does that apply to us too? Here we are 2,000 years later. We're not part of the uh, 11 or the 12. So does that apply to us? Because that's how we often hear it. You know, Jesus said, you'll be witnesses, so we need to go out there and witness and bear witness to what he has done. Does that really apply to us? I think the answer is, yes, that does apply to us. But uh, we we can make that conclusion. We just ought to be careful how we nuance it. And sometimes uh, I recognize I'm not as careful as I need to be in making that connection of, okay, Jesus said it to them, but it also applies to us. But I think the connection here is, they had a message, and we are witnesses, not of eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus, but we are witnesses. We speak what we know to be true about their witness, about their message. So we have encountered their teaching, the teaching of the eyewitnesses of Jesus. We encounter that in Scripture. We encounter that as they tell us what they saw, and it's recorded, it's written down, what Jesus said, what he did what power he had. And we are witnesses, not eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus, but we are witnesses to their witness. So every time we spread the message of the risen Jesus, every time we reflect what they said they saw, what Jesus said, what he did, every time we reflect that message, we're actually extensions of that message, extensions of that witness. And we are being witnesses as well. And we do go into all nations, the ends of the earth, to make disciples. But we don't, we don't make up our own message. We bear witness to their messages. So in that way, we are an extension of that witness. So we don't just immediately make the leap. Well, Jesus said, you're witnesses, so that, that must mean us too. Uh, there is some careful thought, but I do think it's a valid application to say we are witnesses as well. We're not unique apostles in the sense of the 11 or the 12. But we are, we are commissioned as well with a message to bear witness. Uh, a couple things I wanted to, just some books I wanted to share with you. If you're interested in studying Acts further, my goodness, there are so many good books on Acts and so many that I am really profiting from. Two that I think most any Christian would benefit from. One is in the commentary series called The Bible Speaks Today, and it's written by John Stott. So I will link to this in the show notes, but it's just hard to beat uh, Stott, especially in the book of Acts, how he puts things together. You won't agree with everything, most likely, but you will be helped by seeing some of the connections he makes and the way in which he is clear and understandable and deals right in the text of God's word. So that is John Stott. He was a pastor in England for many, many years. And then another book that I came across a few years ago that actually Pastor Champ shared with me, it is called The Word of His Grace. It's written by Chris Green. And again, I will link to this in show notes as well. It is specifically for those that will teach and preach Acts. Uh, so that may not be you, but you will still benefit from reading, kind of takes overview and themes. It's not a verse-by-verse -verse commentary, but my goodness, it is so helpful in understanding what the book of Acts is doing, how it's structured, how it's organized. So I want to recommend both of those books to you if you have interest in studying a little bit further. So much more that we could have covered in the Luke 24 and in Acts 1. I mean, we have the Ascension, and I hope to talk about that more this coming Sunday. 
Uh, we could talk about geography, Judea, Jer- you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. We could talk about the apostles and their particular role. We'll talk about that, Lord willing, this coming Sunday. We talk about the kingdom, and uh, that's alluded to, mentioned a, a few times in the book of Acts. So what what is that about when Jesus said in the gospel, the kingdom has arrived, and now uh, the disciples are asking about restoring the kingdom to Israel. Like, what is that all about? So there's so many questions. I think some of these are going to come out and, and be answered a little bit more as we go deeper into the study of Acts. But today, I want to thank you for taking a few moments here to listen to the extra point. Bye for now, and I hope you have a great week. And I look forward to talking to you more on Sunday as we dig further into Acts 1. Mm-hmm.